0: Extending treatment duration in patients with DME whose disease is responsive to steroid therapy could be instrumental in ensuring that visual disruption is kept at a minimum. How
1: might the three-year results from the Paladin study
0: guide treatment in the near future? I'm Scott Kraswanis here with Greg Notestein, and this is New Retina Radio's coverage of the 2021 AAO Annual Meeting.
1: Dr. Michael Singer reviewed data from a phase four, three-year real-world study of patients whose DME was managed with Alluvian. And we sat down with Dr.
0: Paul Chan, who summarized updates to ROP therapy as outlined in the third edition of the International Classification of Retinopathy of Prematurity. What are the updates and what spurred the iCrop to make them? Stick with us to learn all about it.
1: real world data often don't align perfectly with clinical trial data for obvious reasons. Whenever we can get our hands on real world data, we want to review it, dissect it, and try to understand it.
0: One late-breaking paper at this year's AAO meeting concerned data from the Phase 4 Paladin study, which examined the 0.19 milligram fluacinolone acetonide implant, or alluvian, in patients with DME over a three-year time period. That study was presented by Dr. Michael Singer, who is joining us today.
1: Dr. Singer is with Medical Center Ophthalmology Associates in San Antonio and is a clinical professor of ophthalmology at the University of Texas Health Science Center, also in San Antonio. Dr. Singer, welcome back to New Render Radio.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: There are so many options when it comes to the endpoints of a phase four study. Which particular endpoints did you and your team look for?
2: We wanted to know the incidence of intraocular pressure lowering procedure among patients who had been treated with the the flucinolone implant for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. Recall that in terms of being treated in real life, they had to pass a steroid challenge test before they could get the alluvian per label. And we wanted to compare the response after implantation to response before implantation. We also examined best corrected visual acuity changes after alluvian implantation, as well as central subfield thickness and retinal thickness amplitude improvements pre and post alluvian implantation, as well as any non iop adverse events. In terms of number of patients, we examined 202 eyes who received on-label and then followed them for three years. We assessed them at baseline, day one, day seven, month two, month three, and then every three months afterwards. And in addition, we looked at them three years before so we could get an understanding of what was like before they had the implant.
1: Did all 202 eyes complete the three-year study?
2: No, they didn't. Um, some patients dropped out before 36 months. And we look at the reasons for dropout. There were the obvious ones where you had consent, withdrawal, or lost to follow-up. But the interesting thing, a significant number of them were excluded because of the fact that the fellow eye actually received treatment. So when patients had both eyes that received treatment, when the first eye was done, the uh, second one was automatically stopped. So as a result, 30% of the eyes that were considered, quote, non-finishing treatment actually had the fellow eye finished treatment, but they were not considered in the final group. When you looked at the final group, 94 eyes had completed 36-month treatment per study design. It should be noted that when we look at the two groups, all the eyes versus the 36 months, most of the demographics remain similar. It is interesting that third that about a third of the patients had 20-40 or better vision. A third of the patients had dry retina. So this was a well-treated group of population. In terms of the vast majority, different from fame, had pseudophagia. So essentially, you had about 86% of all the 36 months were pseudophagic in this group versus 88%. So these group of patients, a lot of them had cataract surgery already performed.
1: Tell us about some of the efficacy findings among those who completed the study.
2: So it's interesting to note that before they received the alluvian, over the three-year period, about 73% of patients needed three treatments a year, and they actually lost eight letters as mean visual loss. After they received the alluvian implant, they actually gained 3.7 letters with 65% needing 0.2, zero to two treatments a year, and only 11% of patients needed more than five treatments. So the interesting thing is the treatment burden went from 3.7 treatments to two treatments, and yet the vision got better, and 25% of patients were actually treatment-free at three years.
0: Did the anatomic data match the efficacy data?
2: Actually, the anatomic data was probably even better. The anatomic data showed central subfield thickness significantly reduced at every single time point starting as early as day seven.
0: Safety data, particularly IOP data, are important in a study like this. What did you find?
2: We found that basically by doing the steroid challenge, the mean IOP remained stable throughout the three-year trial. In terms of IOPs, when we look at buckets, IOP over 25 was about 24% of patients, over 30 was about 11%, trabeculoplasty was about 2%, and only 3% of patients needed IOP-lowering surgery. And what's interesting is that six cases, half of which were actually due to neovascular glaucoma and not due to steroid-induced ocular hypertension, and about 20% of people needed IOP-lowering medications. This is about 50% of the rate of the FAME trial, and it actually reinforces the concept of a steroid challenge is a good way to decrease the incidence of
1: IOP-related complications. Are there any studies on the horizon that we need to keep an eye out for?
2: So it's interesting. This great result was in a very well-treated group of patients. So these patients had previously t- been treated. We talked about the demographics. So the question that comes on everybody's mind is what happens if we get treatment-naive patients? Could we even get better results? And that was the genesis of the New Day trial. It is a head-to-head comparison of patients treated with alluvian as first-line treatment versus a aflibrocept. The primary endpoint is the number of aflibrocept injections, and essentially, there'll be an 18-month readout. These are 300 treatment-naive patients who will be enrolled in the trial. We are very excited as this tri- trial is actively recruiting, and we look forward to the results in the near future.
1: Dr. Singer, thank you so much for joining us here on New the Radio.
2: I'm so honored to be asked to speak.
0: It's difficult to think of a disease state that the international retina community has rallied around more than retinopathy of prematurity. Indeed, it's hard to even conceptualize what ROP treatment would look like if not for this international collaborative structure.
1: At the 2021 AAO annual meeting, Dr. Paul Chan outlined updates about ROP classification as articulated in the International Classification of ROP 3rd Edition. He's here today to tell us more about those updates.
0: Dr. Chan is the chair of the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Illinois Eye and Ear Infirmary where he is also the John H. Panton Professor of Ophthalmology and the Director of Pediatric Retina and ROP Service. Dr. Chan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Great to be here. Can you familiarize our audience with the international classification of ROP? Sure. Uh, So ICROP,
3: uh, or the International Classification of ROP, it's it's basically the language that we use to classify retinopathy of prematurity. Um, And just to give you a little bit of history around it, uh, the, the first iteration really came out in 1984. So if you think about it, it's almost 40 years ago. Um, and then it went through you know, the classification of zone, stage, plus disease. And then in 1987, it uh, gave us this definition around retinal detachments. Um, and then in 2005, so almost 16 years ago, uh, gave us uh, definitions like aggressive posterior, ROP, uh, and pre-plus disease. Um, you know, so you can you can imagine that 16 years have gone by since we've had an update. You know, one of one of the things that we we think about is okay, well, why, right? So why why is this happening now? And you know, we started to convene the group uh, back in 2019 um, through the support of the Knights Templar Eye Foundation and the International Pediatric Ophthalmology Business Council, so, or IPOS. Um, and we can, we can go through through this a little bit more detail if, if you wish.
0: Yeah, tell us about some of the updates that occurred since the most recent iCrop update that would require a new update.
3: Yeah, so a lot, a lot of this was driven, you know, and, and if you just think about what's happened in the past 10 to 15 years, I mean, we've had the advent of anti-VEGF treatment, you know, with beetrop and, and rainbow, uh, butterfly, firefly, you know, all these different studies coming out. And we've learned a lot about... Uh, managing children with anti-VEGF of different types, and in addition, we we have so much more imaging at our disposal. Right, so when you look back, you know, at the original uh, images, you know, they're done with uh, you know, sort of older cameras, different field of view, yeah, but but now, you know, imaging is at our fingertips, and I think that that's also changed the way that we do things, especially when we we think about you know fluorescein angiograms. And OCT, OCT angiography—you know—all these tools that we really didn't have um, at our disposal before. So I think the, these are the, sort of the drivers of, of what we're learning about the disease now. Which then says, okay, well, we have to rethink—you know—this classification system. You know, when you look at the—you know—I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but just the main things that we think through. Uh, this was truly international group that that got together to cl- the classification system. So. The main things that we sort of tackled were APROP and the discussion on AROP, reactivation, regression, um, defining this posterior zone 2 or also a notch, and I think very importantly a discussion around this this spectrum of plus disease um, adding to it, uh, you know, adding to this sort of discussion on plus and plus.
1: Let's chat about the most recent convention of the iCrop. Tell me about the makeup of the panel that makes decisions.
3: Yeah, so th- this was a terrific group. I mean, I I, I can't say any more about how, how wonderful this-, this group was. And um, it started really as a conversation with, with a number of people, uh, specifically Mike Chang, Graham Quinn, Alistair Fielder, and some others who are really experts in the field and, and thinking through Um, Well, we want this to be internationally represented, right? And and we want this to have um, a good diversity of people. So, you know, Mike Chen was the chair of of the committee, who's now, you know, everybody knows that Mike is now director of the NEI. There were 34 ophthalmologists from from six continents, 20 retina surgeons, 14 pediatric ophthalmologists, uh, 22 men and and 12 women. And, um, you know, I, I think that this was important because it wasn't just, a heavy uh, Western driven or US centric group. Um, you got people from all over the world, which I think was relevant, especially as we started talking about things like aggressive ROP.
1: That's quite a diverse panel. And what were some of the findings of that group? And why don't we start with aggressive ROP, which you mentioned a little earlier?
3: Right, and and I think that you know, th- this was one of those discussions that, um, you know, and this this is why it's so much fun. You know, we we've had a lot of discussions around aggressive ROP and, and should we add this or you know shift the aggressive posterior ROP definition. And I think one of the important issues around this is that well, we want to have international representation and and, and create uh, definitions that relate to uh, not just the things that we see in the United States. So aggressive posterior ROP, which I think we all recognize, happens in the really, the smallest and youngest babies when they're born, you get different disease in resource-limited settings. Um, You you know, we've all seen different disease in heavier, older babies who can develop aggressive disease um, and it may not be so posterior, right? So aggressive ROP really focuses on the tempo of the disease and the vascular features that we see in the disease, as opposed to focusing on the posterior nature of of APROP.
1: Let's turn to ROP reactivation. What are some updates that are worth noting? Yeah,
3: I, I think that this is one of the critical pieces of this classification, uh, and a lot of this, again, as I mentioned, uh, revolves around, you know, the what is it now? Almost 16 years of using anti-VEGF. Uh, so we're we're seeing more reactivation or a different type of reactivation potentially. Um, but when you look at the literature over the past decade about uh, investigators defining reactivation post anti treatment, the definition of it is variable. There's, a, there's some heterogeneity depending on who you talk to. So developing some consensus around what reactivation is, I think is critically important, especially going forward. If you think about it, why create this nomenclature? Why create the language? Because we all have to agree on the language in order to proceed with clinical trials and to get information that's gonna be valuable for clinical care. So reactivation I think was a critical piece of that. And you know I think very importantly, the group uh, created some language around this. Uh, for example, recurrent vascular di- dilation is important or the development of new vessels, right? So you can refer to the, to the article to get this. And I think this will be important going forward when we think about our clinical trials.
1: I understand there's an update to the definition of stage five disease.
3: Yeah. And again, I think that this was another fun discussion, you know, so the question is, well, we have stage four and stage four A and four B describing retinal detachment, right? And that's a partial retinal detachment, either uh, involving the macula or not, but then stage five. And historically the the surgical outcomes for stage five, you know, anywhere you go um, have not been great. Right. But, then there's there was the suggestion to say subclassify or further classify stage five into five A, B, and C. You know why is this potentially important? Again, I think that if you think about surgical trials or surgical outcomes, um, this may help guide us as to say, okay, well, you know, maybe this child is a better candidate or not. But again, you know, this is this is language and, and definitions. It's not giving us um, prognosis or telling us what to do with the, uh, you know, the condition, but it, you know, this, this language will guide us forward um, as we start to look at trials and studies to look at outcomes.
0: Before we end our conversation today, uh, what changes to the guidance related to PLUS disease does the audience need to know about?
3: Yeah, I think, and I think that this was really one, again, I think reactivation... Um, and plus disease are probably two of the more critical pieces around this. And it's really the recognition that plus disease is a spectrum of disease, right? The vascular features that we see. And the work that, that I've been fortunate enough to be part of with Mike Chang and Pete Campbell and the group with IROP, uh, we've used uh, these AI algorithms, so IROP DL, uh, to create you know what we call a vascular severity score. And, and looking at different features of the posterior pole changes as they you know are mild versus worse right so what we've recognized i think as a community is that plus disease as opposed to just being binary of yes no um you can get different vascular changes and different severity um that can be plus disease in general right so i think that again more to come more discussion one of the important things that came out of this is also it's, it's the posterior pole vessels right and you also don't need to have the anterior chamber, for example, vascular engorgement of the iris and so forth as part of the definition of plus disease. But still, you know, again, I, and I, I urge this in the discussion, these are definitions, right? And these are classifications not telling us what prognostically is going to happen or what to do.
0: All good to know. Dr. Chan, thanks for coming on the program.
3: Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, Greg. Um, really wonderful being here and having this discussion.
1: That's a wrap for this episode of New Retina Radio's coverage of the AAO 2021 annual meeting. Go back in your podcast feed and listen to past
0: episodes covering the meeting. And don't forget to subscribe to New Retina Radio on your podcast app of choice.